Farmers Union is just my favorite and passion. Welcome to the Imaginal Roots podcast, where we explore the transformational possibilities and potential that lie within everyone and everything. Through inspiring conversation, we will discover our community roots, our shared connections, and imagine transformative new stories into being. In this episode of Imaginal Roots, Rachel Barissa and I continue our conversation about her work with Golden Sands, Pasture Walks, Wisconsin Farmers Union, the power of regenerative agriculture to transform climate change, and the value of neighbors and community. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your friends. So besides also having your farm, you work for a place called Golden Sands, and, and your your work is on in agriculture, right? And can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. I also wanted to give a quick follow-up for Wendell Berry in that you know, oh, he, I think ahead. everyone should read Wendell Berry. And what is most noteworthy is so much of this stuff was written decades ago and is still, if not more so, pertinent today. Um, my other one is I recently reread um, Aldo Leopold's Sand County Almanac. Um, and one of the lines from there that's uh, my tag on my email is, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm going to quote it perfectly, is a good farm is one where my flora and fauna um, can coexist. But basically, yeah, a good farm is one where, you know, you can be productive while having wildlife. Um, without something without losing their existence. I'll have to send it to you. Um, but yeah, my job with Golden Sands, um, I'm their grazing specialist. Um, so through that position, I write grazing plans for um, new farmers and existing farmers looking to transition more land into pasture. Um, and that's primarily for NRCS and the EQUIP program through them. Um, if you are anyone is interested in kind of some of these conservation programs and has land, um, definitely reach out to the county NRCS office, um, whether or not you're a farmer, if you're any landowner, they might have some different programs. Um, and then, yeah, and my favorite part is coordinating pasture walks. Um, so those are, I did six pasture walks. So what is a pasture walk? <laughs> yeah, I realized that not, I grew up going on pasture walks and hosting pasture walks. Um, as my parents were some of the first to transition into managed grazing, a lot of this is just kind of second nature to me. Um, but pasture walks are used as an educational tool for people that are interested in managed grazing. Um, so you basically go out to a farmer's uh, pastures, um, and, you know, whether or not we have a speaker or um, we've had NRCS do the rainfall simulator, um, which I under um, understated kind of as a valuable tool to show. The rainfall simulator um, shows like four or five different um, systems and then mimic, simulate an inch of rain in five minutes and then um, they'll have one jar in the front that shows the runoff and then one jar underneath that'll show what was infiltrated. Um, so that's kind of really neat to see. Um, but yeah, so it's just basically a time to go out and look at someone else's farm or 
farm and then um, kind of ask questions of the group and um, you know it's a lot of it's just chatting and getting advice um, because yeah like managed grazing isn't there isn't now there's more research but when managed grazing first kind of came onto the scene in the late 90s there was no grazing specialists in the state so they actually were bringing them in from New Zealand <laughs> um, to speak and educate farmers on these managed grazing principles and practices and so pasture walks kind of became like a grassroots educational opportunity for farmers because it was not a practice that was promoted through you know extension and um, other kind of venues and so um, this was a way for farmers to learn from each other I say as farmers our greatest resource is each other um, and with grazing it's a lot more sharing notes um, a lot of conventional agriculture you know you you know you're, you get bigger and you kind of keep you know you keep your notes to yourself much more um, the grazing community is very open um, open sourced <laughs> And yeah, and you rely on one another. Um, there's that idea that as farms got bigger and bought each other out, now there's no opportunities to kind of work together or share equipment. Um, you know, those kind of things that brought us together. Um, you know, now if you're the lonely person on your big mountain, <laughs> you got no one else to kind of turn to. So it builds the community. Okay, so if I have some land and I'm looking for a grazing plan, can you tell me? Who do I talk to so that I can have you help me get a grazing plan? Well, most often it's I'm contacted by NRCS offices. Um, and what is NRCS? Um, the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Um, it's through um, USDA, FSA, I think they'd be a division of. Um, so the really water and soil, uh, you know, their, their focus is addressing resource concerns. Um, I work a lot in the realm of water quality and soil. And so, you know, if some, a producer was interested in, and they'll, I mean, managed grazing kind of is, I call it the gold, or not me, but it's called the gold standard by um, some in that as far as kind of from an environmental and agricultural system, um, it addresses more resource concerns than any other practice. And so they promote it heavily. Yeah. So the they'll cost share on putting in fencing and water lines as well as you know some of the seed costs to get your pastures established. Um, so in my grazing plans, I'll do fence designs and water line designs and um, and then I do kind of stocking rate calculations. The, how does Golden Sands work with NRCS? So Golden Sands is a nonprofit, um, so it's kind of works through different grants. Um, the grant that I write these grazing plans under is a National Association of Conservation Districts grant. Um, you know, they're just trying to encourage more people to get more um, agricultural land and pastures is the primary goal. Um, so that's kind of how my position at Golden Sands is funded. Yeah, and then you are you're also involved with. Uh, Farmers Union, Wisconsin Farmers Union. I guess you're the 
uh, is it the chapter president for um, Wapaka and Portage and Wood County? Is that, that correct? correct? Yep, that is correct. I know I made a list of all of my my kind of positions and duties because <laughs> um, I'm also on our FSA County Committee um, as the minority advisor. What's, wait, wait, what's FSA? So FSA is the Farm Service Agency. Um, and they are in the same office as NRCS, um, but they work a lot more with conventional producers and do a lot more of the other agricultural programs, the dairy programs, you're kind of more of the crop insurance side of it. So I use my position there to kind of be more informed and educated with what the other farmers in the county that aren't doing grazing are doing and how some of the federal programs kind of impact our area farmers. And then Farmers Union is, what what does Farmers Union do? Oh, Farmers Union is just my favorite and passion. Um, from a pol- I guess I was drawn to Farmers Union for the, the people. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing similar things and kind of have, like I said, the, the similar passions to me. Um, but the more that I got involved in the organization, I realized, you know, the policy side of it, um, you know, we... We all go and vote in November, but it's really what is getting done and the conversations that are being had with our representatives throughout the year um, that are really where the change is made. Um, so I would look through the Farmers Union Policy Book, which is their, um, their kind of mission statement I don't have in front of me, but you know, it's not just farmers, it's rural communities is a lot of where... Um, they see their service to. Um, so you don't need to be a farmer to be a member. Um, but just having someone. Yeah, I just pulled up the mission. It says Wisconsin Farmers Union, a member driven organization, is committed to electing the, enhancing the quality of life for family farmers, rural communities, and all people through educational opportunities, cooperative endeavors, and civic engagement. You want to expand on that? You're part of this. I know. I was going to say that's the kind of leads into all or kind of sums up all of our conversation we, we've been having. Um, so I use or I look at my role with that organization is, um, you know, bringing our voice to the state level and then now it's the national level. <laughs> Um, so it's a lot. I've gone in, you know, spoken to, but a, you know, listening sessions and, um, you know, each year they'll have... Um, a rural lobby day where you know they'll set up meetings with our representatives and we speak to um, you know a few different issues. But yeah, and I'm on our yeah state policy committee, uh, so we had a six-hour meeting on Monday. Um, but you know it's it's shaping those policies. So if something does come up, you know we we can have someone you know make a stand for us at you know, at the state level. Well, and also it's that you are making a stand at the national level. I just saw. I'm I'm really, uh, I'm really excited about this opportunity. And so I'm in full homework mode right now. Um, Yeah. So I was recently appointed to represent our state, um, which is a key agricultural state um, at the national level as part of the climate change policy advisory panel um, so it's a 16-person panel, um, and we will be providing input for national policy on 
mitigating climate change. It um, sounds like an amazing opportunity. And oh, so I'm so. taking I'm taking the role very seriously in that I don't just represent myself and um, my farm, um, that I am representing our entire state. Um, so I've been recently reaching out to some of my old connections at the university, um, as well as other producers um, through the Regenerative Farming in Wisconsin group um, to get kind of input on policy from them. It's exciting. I'm normally we'd be flying out to with the with kids. It'll make logistics a little easier, but um, I'm kind of it would have been really cool. And and the other part that you know you you miss all those side conversations and the you know building relationships that you would have in in person meetings um, when it's just by Zoom. So I feel like you know from a panel standpoint it may not be quite ideal, but we're, we'll do our best. <laughs> and congratulations for being part of the panel. And, and I'm sure there'll be interesting things that we will be able to talk about in the future about your climate change policy advisory. Panel. Yeah, I'm really, yeah. And that's, I'm really excited to be able to bring a lot of that back here too. So not only is it bringing our voices to them, it's bringing what is the conversations and direction of that group back to our group. Yeah, exactly. And and then there are there are some of our some of my younger friends who are very interested in in climate change and climate change action. In fact, I got I got actually interested in in this resurgence in podcasting because our our mutual friend Kari Espison's her daughter Sophie did a climate change panel in, in Waka. And I reached out to Kari and Sophie and I said, would you guys like to do more with this? Would you like to share your story? Would you like to get a podcast going? And that was back in, I think, in March. And we started talking a little bit, but that's kind of the seed for, for me saying, I need to get more involved saw Sophie yesterday and told her you were on the climate change phase, right? So you and Rachel are can, need to connect because I want to help you amplify your voice and Rachel amplify her voice, especially from a local standpoint. Um, I mean, we have such an opportunity to impact climate change on a, on a, a rural, regional level. It, you know, if we understand what's going on with agriculture and how transforming to regenerative agriculture can make a difference. And you want to share more about? Yeah, well, I guess kind of my stance was that in the state of Wisconsin, uh, agriculture um, comprises 40% of the land. Um, And so that's why I'm very passionate, or I believe that we as farmers have this power and responsibility um, to change practices um, there's probably no other land use that impacts climate as much as agriculture. Yeah, so that's why we need to change. Um, yeah, and I look forward to talking to Sophie. Uh, yeah, we could interview each other. <laughs> With this whole effort is to connect you, people like you and people like Sophie and people like me who are interested and have some ability with technology to connect to more people that are maybe outside of your circles. Um, You know, there's this youth climate change movement that, you know, is kind of huge in certain areas. But our other friend Kayla expressed to us in saying, 
I don't know how to connect into this in my local community. Well, obviously now there's this look at what could be happening in the with our awareness and regenerative agriculture. It's huge relative to climate change. But I, you know, do the, do these other people know? So that's a thing that I, I feel like has a huge opportunity for yeah. us. I just found my notes. I, I had to address the governor this summer um, and spoke to that one climate change video I had. So I just found my, my notes from my speech. What did you share with the governor? What was important? I'm going to go with that. Agriculture comprises 40% of land use in Wisconsin and across the state. Most of this is farmed as a net carbon source and that we have a great deal of power to impact and improve our environment, our soil, water, and air, and rural communities, the nutritional value of the food we produce, and as farmers, our own happiness and quality of life. And then I go on to the advent of synthetic nitrogen and farming systems shifting. But I keep these notes in front of me because that was a, a powerful moment and um, you know, really kind of summarized a lot of what I do and why I do it. What continues to stoke your passion and inspire you towards greater service in our world? It's, I don't know, all the people. Again, it's strengthening communities and building connections um, and enjoying it. <laughs> Um, I enjoy pretty much, I, I joke that I say yes to everything, um, <laughs> but I do it happily. Um, I enjoy having these conversations and making these connections. Um, you know, I, whenever I'm planning one of um, you know, my events, I also joke that I like it to be like the NASCAR theme. Um, you know, the more different groups, the more partners, the more collaborators, the more voices, the better. Um, so yeah, with this kind of our um, Common Roots Rising group, it's understanding, you know, and not and reducing redundancy, um, you know. So knowing what everyone else is doing, you know, they'll save time and energy. You know, that's that idea of a well-working community where if we all have what we're good at and we're all working together to do something, um, it's just more efficient. <laughs> yeah, I think. And it just highlights, yeah, the the skills of each. Of, and, you know, you've brought that up a lot in kind of the planning discussions with this group. But um, I, I think that that's just so valuable in a community because we don't all need to do it all. <laughs> right. At least try not to get, find some helpers that are interested in things and say, you're interested in something I'm interested in. Let's like work together and, and help, help each other. What if we dare to create forward from what we really truly want for our reality and our world and not just based on and fueled by what we don't want? What would you dare to create forward? I guess, yeah, better, more connections to our land, our food systems, and each other. Um, I, I kind of always joke about the barter system, um, you know, and that's kind of in, that's another one of those um, passages in that gift of good land, you know, where they, you know, introducing money into, um, you know, different societies where people can just buy what they need instead of working together, Um I, I would love to live in a barter world, which I know isn't possible, but, um, you know, it's just having everyone that, you know, makes or does something and they don't, you know, take passion and pride in what they do and can share it with others. You know, that idea that you grow and produce, you know, just enough more that you can then trade with others um, and, you know, just 
yeah, I guess I just think of, you know, what I, my relationship with my neighbors and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just when you live in a rural community, there's kind of that constant give and take. And that's what brings you together and makes you valuable. Yeah, I'm going to be splitting some wood later <laughs> and hanging out at my neighbor's cabin. But then they end up giving me syrup or honey and I give them beef here and there. And it's just, you know, it just makes you feel good. I just think that, that those connections are just what is good. <laughs> but like two weeks ago, uh, our friend Missy was, you know, I mean, it's been, a, it's been an interesting year and a challenging year to get enough seeds and get enough supplies. And, you know, she's expanding her, her, her greenhouse and her growing and she just moved and, and uh, she commented on Facebook that she can't find uh, horseradish roots and I have some, I don't actually use them all. Um, and I thought, well, I can go see if I can still dig in the ground if it's not frozen and see if I can find some. And I did. And, you know, she, she came and got some roots for me. And then she asked, well, how much do you want for them? I'm like, nothing. First of all, I wasn't directly using them right now. Secondly, you can put them to use. And thirdly, in the spring, I probably am going to need some more plants from you because you're better at growing plants than I am. For, and I want to, I have lots of room to put plants in. And so it just, it makes so much sense to just, just do that. And it was super easy for me. And it, it, it empowers her to get her um, horseradish patch started sooner. Right. And I call it community credit. <laughs> and I always like to have a, as little more than I need. Um, cause I know that, you know, by helping someone else out, you know, down the road, that'll come back to me. Um, so yeah, you, you, yeah. you give freely. <laughs> by the way, is your, is your comfrey still growing? Yeah. Uh, it, awesome. it was, it was. Wow. Yeah. It's frozen. Now, <laughs> and no, it's but... it was interesting that you bring up Missy cause I had gotten some wormwood <laughs> from her. Um, and the two of them are next to each other in front of my house. The, the goji plants that I got from her, you got a goji too. The deer loved those. They were gone pretty fast. So though, and I learned, and I mean, that's such a learning experience because I'm like, oh, I want to grow goji. Missy's got goji this year. That would be really fun when you research this plant. And then you realize the deer like goji. So that means if I am going to grow goji, I'm going to have to put up some kind of barriers for the deer. And, you know, it's always a balance. Um, even for us, so a, a, a summer ago, summer of uh, 2019, we had a big windstorm that went through here and took down our, our, our sumac. And it was like, well, sumac is just whatever. It's, you know, they're brushy weeds for most people, right? But we harvest the flower, the flower blossoms for, uh, for medicine. It's a great cold remedy um, for um, uh, the winter. And the tall sumac have the flowers. The short sumac don't. Well, the deer love to top the sumac. So I actually have a fenced, um, I don't know, it's probably a 50-foot circle for my to save my sumac. I mean, who does that? But that's what I did because I don't have a sumac sanctuary for my deer uh, to keep them off my deer uh, uh, right now. So now 
you know, hopefully in another year, they didn't flower this year, but now I have thick sumac patch coming back. To well, that windstorm, um, you know, took out, I think I had 22 trees or, um, but I will remember that where it was, everyone was helping each other out. You know, it was so much, so many people and the sound of chainsaws, you know, for that whole next week was just echoing throughout the neighborhood. But I had you know someone bring me water. Um, I have uh, another farmer that has a connection with the rural uh, fire department and their water trucks. And so you know through having those connections, um, it just you know made my life easier and better. Um, but that was a big kind of bringing our community. I had a <laughs> I had a bonfire after that because it was right around my birthday. Um, and I you know, invited, I started having these neighborhood parties each summer um, because when I moved back, I realized that two of my neighbors that lived next door to each other didn't have each other's phone number. <laughs> and I said, how can you guys have lived next to each other for 10 years without having each other's phone number? And then I realized they didn't have livestock. <laughs> I need everyone to have my phone number because if my cows get out... <laughs> Um, you know, they need to get a hold of me. But now each year I have um, a neighborhood party where I invite everyone and just kind of show my appreciation for them as my neighbors. Um, yeah, being a farmer, I need to keep them all on my good side. And um, But yeah, and my joke was that something about burning wood versus cutting it, or we were just all so sick of, you know, we had this big bonfire and we were all just so sick of, you know, cutting wood. <laughs> But I have a whole stockpile of firewood going into this winter. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand you really like to split wood. I love splitting wood. <laughs> Why do you love splitting wood? Um, the, I'm not going to get the quote right, but it, the, the zen you know, is something where um, yeah, there's a zen. Of, um, and I just heard, uh, oh, it's actually on the cover of the country today, you know, the value of firewood. And that's another Aldo Leopold quote where, you know, the the value of a family farm is to understand that food doesn't come from the store and heat doesn't come from the furnace. Um, you know, it's that, you know, it's splitting wood's like the perfect amount of physical exertion and it's just time to, it's relaxing to me and physical and all of that. But it's that idea of the full circle of an appreciation uh, for the trees and um, you know, and that's why we, you know, will plant, you know, oak trees for the future because, you know, when you're cutting them up and burning them, you're realizing the value of them. Um, and if each one you take down and put in, you better be replacing that if you're going to be warm 30 years. And it's, I don't know, I kind of think of it, see you know, how it's a um, constant process where you just, or that I have to constantly kind of be stoking this fire. <laughs> Is a kind of a mantra in life where, you know, it's, you know, you got to keep, keep the fire burning. So when are you going to offer a wood splitting class? A wood splitting workshop? Yes. <laughs> I still have a pile that needs to be split from, um, from that storm. But not, so I work with my neighbors and the rule is that they'll, they can cut it and bring it, but no one splits it. <laughs> oh, so you're, there's no, there's no work workshop coming because that's your job i know if i run out if that pile gets too low then where will i find my zen <laughs> but I, i've talked to a lot of other you know i know that that the sentiment with enjoying splitting wood is not one that i hold alone 
um, I think a lot of people that do it also really enjoy it. Uh, didn't you also tell me, I don't know if it's Golden Sands, but somebody was offering a um, chainsaw workshop for women? Yeah, that was a project that is just kind of a little blip on the radar right now, but it will probably be something that's moved forward. Um, yeah, there's, and I'm not 100% sure the details of that project, but I think it's a fantastic idea. So I will keep you posted and maybe we can promote it uh, through our page and our sure. group. And then, and then part two is maybe wood splitting with Rachel. <laughs> right. And I guess maybe that pile is pretty big. I could allow people to come out and split their you know, wood and then they can take whatever they would like with them. Um, that could be kind of fun too. We could do it together. Well, no, I wouldn't mind that. I actually have a huge pile that I wouldn't mind seeing gone. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll put the call out for that. Um, so can we wrap back around to your to your farm to talk about your business and Bar- Barista Family Farm and, and what it actually is that you offer? What are the what are the what can people get from you at, at your farm? Um, so I raise grass fed beef. Um, you know, and we're organic by, you know, just by the system. Um, and then I sell in, you know, quarters and then I have a website. So I sell, yeah, all ground and steaks and roasts. But um, this year has been kind of a struggle with increased customer demand and then incredible backlog with processors, which I kind of uh, mentioned earlier. Um, so a lot of our far- my fellow farmers, um, have had a hard time keeping stuff in stock, which is made for a lot of farmers to have one of their best years ever. Um, but I fear at some times that we've missed this golden opportunity where we did have this increased demand as people went into the stores. Um, there was a New York Times editorial that said the end of red meat was here. Um, and I wrote a scathing rebuttal um, that was that it should be the end of industrialized food systems to it. And my rebuttal was that, you know, I, this is a system that I know well, um, better than any New York Times op-ed writer. Um, my cattle are uh, British White Park, which is kind of a heritage breed, um, which is, I think, important, too, to have some of these heritage breeds. Um, and they're all, they're really cute. And anyone is always welcome to come out to the farm because I love walking around on my farm and petting my cows and sharing what I do with others. Uh, so can you share what what's your website? It is Um So you can order online, but everything's out of stock right now. So, But I did just send um, a couple of animals in for processing this week. So, oh, okay. so I will be restocked um, in a couple weeks, which will be nice. But in the meantime, I also am the coordinator of our local grazers network. Um, so when people have reached out to me, I, you know, I... I don't look at other farmers as competition. Um, I think that everyone should eat grass-fed meat, and I know that I can't feed everyone. Um, So I am always very happy to refer um, people to other farmers. um, And the same with vegetables and whatever else. Uh, Again, that's where I have joked the glomalin idea, uh, you know, connecting people and making those connections. Um, so I always say if, you know, someone's looking for any sort of farm product, you know, let me know and I may not have it, but I can point you to someone that I know does and does a really good job at what they do. And that's why I didn't, don't do chicken. I did chickens one year. Um, and I realized I did, I mean, I did like 200, uh, meat chickens 
And after that, I realized I didn't, I used to barter um, with Black Rabbit and Nami Moon Farms for their chicken. You know, I would give them trade, you know, again, this barter idea. And um, that they did chickens a lot better than I did. And then it kind of missed that chance to trade back and forth with them. So I said, well, let them do what they love and do well. And I'll do what I love and do well. And we'll just trade. So that's why I don't do chickens and that's why I don't do pigs because I know other people that do and I like to support them. And and I love that, that you network with other farmers and realize that it's, you know, not just about competition. There's so much opportunity for people like you to get involved and feed the community because, I mean, most of us get our food from the grocery store and it comes from, maybe even be from overseas. It might be all over the world. If our local people would get behind our local farming community, we wouldn't be dealing with some of these issues of, um, you know, distribution, you know, places to um, get our food or, or, or some of the shortages that we were dealing with at the, this spring, um, which I know are still there because your processing is kind of plugged up right now. Um, but, you know, I feel like there's so much more opportunity for young small or for smaller farmers to get involved and then maybe specialize in something if they have other friends that can help the consumers fulfill their needs for what they don't do and they could all work together so i love what you're sharing about that and uh one of our goals actually or at least one of the uh things that i would like to see happening is creating more of that relationship and then making sure like what you're offering that more consumers are aware of of the fact that they can get a hold of you and they can get referred to other people and other farms that where they can find things that they're looking for that are, are better for them and are local. Oh, and for my be- veggie growers, I've got, you know, that composted manure that is not a value to me. Um, so that I, I can trade and share that um, to vegetable growers that don't have a, a source otherwise. Yeah. And, that, and that's been helpful for me. So thank you very much for, for, uh, is there anything else that you want to share? I just really, strongly believe in the value of this um, this group and this Common Roots Rising, and I'm really excited to kind of keep this going and, um, you know, elevate the group and elevate our community. Um, so, yeah, I think I think this is and should be done in every community. <laughs> well, re- Renewing the Countryside has, um, they have a local producers or local food network that they've created, and I, I don't know if anybody locally, like in, like, we're, Right now, we're kind of we're focusing on the central Wisconsin region. Uh, renewing the countryside seems strong in south southwestern Wisconsin, Minnesota, things like that. Um, so I don't know that anybody's pr- participating in that local food program, that local food hub that they have. But I would love to see something like that happen in central. Wisconsin. Kind of what, and I just was at Farm Shed this week, um, and I think partnering maybe with Farm Shed. Um, and we're going to be writing a grant through Farmers Union and Farm Shed, um, kind of at to do some of that stuff. Um, so that could be a good partner ally group. So over the last two weeks, 
um, the Tamar River Community Charter School has been conducting their um, holiday fair. And normally that would that event would happen uh, on campus on one particular day and everybody would come and get to see the campus. But what it is is it supports all this lo- local makers. And there's a few um, food producers as well. Um, most of the, you know, some of the people that are involved with the, uh, their, their kids in the school will come there. And, and, and of Gravel Road has been there and White Feather Organics has been there. Um, so this year, they did it virtually. And, you know, it's a little bit sad that it had to be virtual, but there's additional benefits and that they actually created a website and they've had people from throughout the region and beyond buying these things that we are locally producing. We participated this year with our herbal products. And um, so I'm encouraging that to continue to happen. The Basically, it's like a maker fair, but it also could be in the food realm. I was going to say, I think that sounds great um i think that you know where we've been talking about you know consumers and buying from farmers but things need to be you know it's 2020 things need to be easy um you know make it easy for people and online ordering i mean i my website and online ordering is huge um but i think having you know it's almost like a mall (laughs) you know if you can get everything you know from one platform and one shopping interface um i think that's awesome i I mean i think that is something that we could look at you know we need we, we need to see if we can put the skills and the talents together to to put something like that together because it just, it just, it supports us. And then we can always, we can also use it to communicate and promote this idea of, of supporting local and make it easier for the consumer to connect with the farmer. Yeah. Finding customers for, especially when you're getting started as a farmer, having that, you know, developing that, you know, internet presence and that yeah. market and customer base is, can be really challenging. Um, and takes a lot of energy and effort. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, as a small family farmer, I, I I think you're expected to wear every single hat in the in the world, and and you are a business, and um, so most of a lot of what you have to do once you you know grow or, or raise or or um, nurture whatever it is that you're taking care of on your farm, you have to figure out the market. And what to do with that and that's a whole nother skill and you're supposed to wear all those hats as a farmer it would be super helpful yeah if someone could help you (laughs) if we could work together to be better yeah Yeah. and i know that exists i know there's help and there's support but you know there's probably not quite enough support and there's quite and and it's sometimes a little bit like maybe people don't know to ask or apply for so there's a lot of this bridge of you're pretty. You're kind of small, and you're not sure if you're big enough to take on, you know, some of these programs or get some of this help. But maybe there's some bridging and gapping that, you know, could be helpful. That could help get me with some of the ideas that I have over the hump of, oh yeah, I can actually turn this into something that makes sense. That I could then support myself on my own land, or at least partially support myself in a way that's realistic. Um, with a little bit of support that, you know, maybe I'm not sure I qualify for, I don't qualify for, I don't know how to jump over that bridge, or maybe I don't even have the time to. So, you know, and I know, I mean, you work in this field, so maybe that it's, it's 
good already, but I just, I feel like there's, I, I know that for, for me, you know, I'm, I get busy in my own stuff and, and then I don't realize what I need to go out and ask for help to, for. Um, what I would like to do, and I brought it up, well, this year we just couldn't do it, but, um, you know, I, we do these pasture walks for grazers, which are so amazing, but other farms, they, you know, for veggie farms or herb farm, you know, I think having I don't farm walk series um, in the summer where you can go and you're you know you're not at the market where you're talking about whatever else because you're away from the farm where you're actually on each other's farms and other people in the community are always welcome to join and learn about um, you know it's different conversations I've I've learned you can't have a farmer based and a citizen based pasture walk because it's just different conversations and audiences but um, you know utilizing each other as resources or being able to ask you know that's because that's where those conversations would come up is you know are you doing this plan or this program or I always think you know there's just so much to learn from each other and being on each other's farms um, and actually there used to be a group that did that where through Farmers Union, they were called the Farmer Hotshots, and we had monthly meetings, um, but that kind of fell off or fell to the wayside. But um, I think there's a lot of value on to going out to each other's farms. I, I think that sounds like a, a great idea, and, and I've done that a little. You know, I came and visited you, and I've been out to Sarah Rivers at uh, Primitive Pastures, although it took me a lot, three years to go do it. Finally went this fall. Um, and when I first, we first, I went over to White Feather, um, Tony, White Feather, um, was very easy to talk to at the winter farm market when we started visiting the winter farm market and I, and I started sharing, Hey, I want to do this herb farm thing. What are you doing? And, and so he said, yeah, come on out, you know? And, uh, so he made that available to me and I, I really appreciate that because it helped me get, a sense of what he was actually doing. Awesome. Yeah, there's some really fun people in our group, in our community. Yeah. Tony's so, one of those. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us today. I see so much more potential in these conversations for the future to get more specific on some of the issues that you're passionate about and you care about and things that are going on and to bring some other people in. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Mark. This was great. Imaginal Roots with host Mark Gerke is a podcast from Common Roots Rising. Through engaging conversations with creative leaders, we're exploring our community roots and connections as we imagine transformative new stories and culture into being. <laughs>